Many of the sermons that you hear preached at Weavertown are what we call expository sermons. And an expository sermon is a sermon that, that takes a passage of Scripture and breaks it down, expounds on the passage, seeks to explain the meaning of its text and its relevance to the listeners. And that is the type of preaching that we hold in high regard here, that we encourage. Another type of sermon is a topical sermon, which just simply takes a topic and, and uh, enlarges on that topic. And Lord willing, that is what I plan to preach here for my next several sermons, topical message, addressing several different subjects that I think are pertinent to us, and in some cases, subjects that were recommended by some of you that we touch on. And hopefully you find them practical and useful. Calvin reminded us in the devotional this morning that we are not here to battle alone. In a congregation this size, there are many groups of people, many different facets of life that you experience, and perhaps sometimes you feel like you're battling alone in those areas. And sometimes we can address some of those areas at the risk of having other people say, well, that sermon wasn't for me, it was for someone else. Uh, that can happen when you speak on marriage or on fatherhood or on motherhood or on singleness or many different other ways. And uh, the sermon I'd like to preach this morning applies to people that many times feel like they are battling alone. They are in a situation that other people do not understand. And so my purpose in doing this is to help us as a group to understand what these people may be going through. Several times in, in years past, I had the opportunity to be involved at a, in a retreat at Penn Valley that was geared for returned missionaries, people who had spent time in VS or on the mission field and had returned back to their home communities. And as we spent times together with these groups, we had some very rich, rewarding, and meaningful times. And I feel there is an important message for returned missionaries to hear and to share together. It was very significant. But I found myself sometimes leaving those seminars with another thought in my mind. Yeah, there's a message that they need to hear, but there's also a message that the churches need to hear in regards to receiving them and welcoming them home. And I tended to shy away from addressing that subject uh, perhaps because the time never seemed right, or perhaps because it felt like it was just somehow zeroing in on a small group of people, putting a spotlight in a few, group, uh, few uh, people. But recently, the subject was brought to my mind again, and I was discussing it with someone, and, and this uh, the sister really encouraged me to address it. She said, well, it, it's something we need to hear, and if we don't need to hear it now, perhaps later, and we can... Uh, Stored away for that time. So the title of the message this morning is, Here I Am, Now What? Referring specifically to people who have been away, 
in another community for one purpose or another in service, return home and wonder, now what? And it's specifically for those of us who have been here in working and relating with those people. Now, returning home, returning back to a home community after being away for a period of time can be a difficult experience. In fact, the process of returning and reintegrating into one's home community is often significantly more difficult than it was to move to another community initially. If you've experienced that, you understand. If you haven't experienced that, it may surprise you. So let's begin by trying to understand the issue. Understanding the challenge. Why can reintegration be so difficult? Why does coming back and meshing with a home community, why can that be a challenge? And I have a, a list here of um, points that someone compiled um, that we looked at somewhat in some of those seminars. It gives 14 contrasts of differences between what it's like to serve in another setting and what it's like when you return home and why that can be difficult, some of those contrasts. I'll just uh, give a few of them before I get into the points I'd like to cover here. When you left for a term of service, you felt called by God and commissioned by the church. But then that calling and commission expires, and you're left to wonder, now what? When you were serving, you filled a needed position and performed vital, vital tasks. But you may be coming home to avoid with no job, no obvious need for you in the church, no reason to be here, except that be, by default, this is your landing pad. So here I am. Perhaps when you were away, you were materially rich in comparison to those around you. And perhaps when you return, you may feel overwhelmed by the lifestyle of your peers and those in your community. When you go away, you know you're going to be different, so you prepare for that. When you return, you expect somehow to blend in, but find that it just doesn't always work that way. And there's more. If you're interested in seeing more of those, uh, you can ask me for those afterwards. I'd like to focus on um, six reasons why it can be difficult, and this is to help us as a congregation to understand and relate to other people who are returning. Uh, there's a number from our church who are in service currently in various places, both married and single, and at some point they will probably be returning. And you may know other people, family members and so forth, who are in the same situation. So I'd like to um, give you six reasons why it can be a challenge and then look at six ways that we can relate to these people to help to make it easier. Number one, why is it difficult? It is generally much more final. The, the thing of returning home feels more final than the move into mission work. Normally when someone goes into VS or into mission field, oftentimes they plan to be gone for maybe a year or two, maybe longer. 
if they do end up staying longer, it's often because they agreed to do so after a year or two had passed by. They would have had the opportunity to return home if they want. For most people in our circles, a move to VS or the mission field is not a lifelong decision. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that's the way it tends to be. In most cases, it's not a lifelong decision. It's an anticipated end at some point. But on the other hand, for someone who's returning back, it just, there's just a much more final implication to it. You don't expect to be returning to live where you had served after a couple more years. And sometimes you're not sure if you'll ever have the opportunity to see these people again. You invested your, your life into their well-being, into ministry, into serving them. And now it just abruptly comes to an end. It's been a little over 15 years since our family returned uh, from Romania. And I well remember that experience. Uh, we had a number of farewells with different groups of people. And at one of those farewells with my co-workers, the, the employees that we had there, people that I worked with, one of those men come to us and made the comment. He said, I think we should just call this a funeral. He said, there's really no difference. You're disappearing from our lives and you'll be gone. This is basically a funeral. When someone leaves to serve, they know their family will maintain contact with them. They'll be home for furlough and so forth. But when that person returns home, realistically, that is not as likely to happen. It may continue for a while, but eventually contacts diminish. And this fact alone, the, the finality of this change, can make the return home very difficult. Another reason it can be difficult is for someone returning home, there are no easy outs. There's no easy escape route. When you move to the field, you probably have this thought in the back of your mind, well, if it doesn't work, or if I don't like it, I just can't accommodate, it'll only be a year or two, and it'll be over. But when you come home, if it doesn't work, where else do you have to go? It's just where you are. Going back to the field may not be an option. If you would decide to return, the position you occupied may be filled, and there may not be an opening. And so here you are. Now what? Another reason it may be difficult. People who spent time in service may find themselves returning after a period of difficulty, and they may even feel like a failure. They may have faced challenges and difficulties that they did not expect. And sometimes these challenges feel them, leave them feeling drained emotionally and physically and even spiritually. And perhaps they feel like, I, I, I just wasn't effective. I just didn't accomplish what I intended to do. You know, many people, when, when leaving for a term of service, they have high ambitions. They're going to make a difference, and that's good. They should have high goals. But sometimes we find that the goals that we have are not realistic. Just last week, I was talking to uh, uh, a brother who's been involved in missions for quite a few years, and he told me about a girl who came 
to their area for several weeks of summer service. And she was uh, serving in a community, a remote community. And after she was there for a week or two or a couple of weeks, she made the statement. She said, I've prayed about it, and I'm not going to leave this community until every person in this community is a Christian. So that's what God told me to do. Well, certainly that was ambitious. It was a, a worthy desire. But the fact is, that girl is no longer in that community, and not everyone in that community is a Christian. Does that mean she was a failure? Well, not necessarily. Uh, perhaps she did not reach her goals. I believe she probably had a positive impact on people while she was there. But perhaps she left feeling like a failure. It didn't happen. What I wanted to do, what I felt God wanted me to do, didn't happen. And if these are the feelings that are in people's minds when they return, it's going to affect their enthusiasm or lack thereof about getting involved in ministry and relationships in another community. And in some cases, a worker may even be asked to leave the mission. Perhaps there's changes in structure, perhaps there were challenges that they faced, difficulties and so forth, and maybe the mission board feels that it's time for them to move on to something else. That can be very difficult, and it leaves them feeling like, well, I guess I failed. And if that is the circumstances under which they returned, they probably return with this idea in the back of my mind, everybody looks at me as a failure. I went, but what did I accomplish? Nothing. And that can make a return very difficult. Number four, when a person returns to their home community, relationships and work and ministry tend to be much less concentrated than what they were where they were serving. When you're serving in a mission or a VS unit, these three groups tend to overlap and perhaps even all be wrapped up into one. You live and work with and minister with and minister to the same group of people. You're with them every day, day in and day out, through thick and thin. And sometimes that can cause challenges. But it can also bring a, a very close sense of unity and, and common purpose because you're there for the same goals, you're doing the same thing, you have the same desires, you want to see the same things happen. Well, then this person comes home. And as you know, a church is a very diverse group of people. We have tremendous diversity in this group right here. We all live in separate homes, and we're glad we do. That's good. But our homes are different. We have many different jobs or businesses, and we are involved in, in different types of ministry. Some of us may be involved in city ministry. Some of us may be teaching school. Some of us may be involved in, in clubs for children. Some of us reach out to the people we work with. We have connections with our neighbors, and, and our ministry is very diversified. 
And sometimes it feels like, where's the commonality in what we're doing? We all meet here on Sunday and we go our separate ways and do our own thing. And that can be a confusing environment, a challenging environment for someone to come back to. And although you are involved in various types of ministry, sometimes it's not so obvious to others what you're doing. And a person returning may even ask the question, well, is there a vision for ministry? These are challenges that they face. Number five, changes occurred while they were gone. Now, we all recognize that we tend not to notice changes when we're in the middle of them. It's gradual. We don't think about it. But if somebody is gone and comes back, those changes are glaringly obvious. You really notice it. And the fact is, if someone is gone for two years and they come back, our church changed. There may be people here who were not here before. There may be people who are not here who were here before. And those of us who were here are different. We aged. We grow. People die. People come and go. And this is especially true for young people, people in the youth group. The dynamics of a youth group change tremendously in a two-year period. Basically, they're coming back to a, a different group. There are some of the same people there, but there's a different group. And sometimes when people return, they may have had responsibilities when they left, but those responsibilities have been taken over by someone else. The hole that they left has been filled, and they wonder, is there any space for me? Where do I fit in? Do I fit in? And the fact is that the person themselves that has gone, they changed. They're not the same person they were when they left. And this can leave them with questions as to how they will fit in. The testimony of one young girl I had some interaction with, she said, I had a fear of not being accepted when I returned because I changed so much. And people will hardly know who I am when I'm coming back. So we need to help these people find their space and how to fit in. And number six, why is it so difficult? Someone who returns may question if they're needed or if they're even wanted. You know, this is just their default landing pad. They probably went to serve because they were specifically asked to do so. Perhaps someone gave them a phone call, tapped them on the shoulder, we have a need, we would like you to consider filling this need. And even if that person volunteered, they were probably interviewed or filled out an application. They were evaluated and accepted. The reply came back. We want you to come and fill this position. Well, when their term's up, where do they go? Well, home, of course, because where else do you go? But then there are these questions. Do they want me? Do they need me? Did they miss me? Is there a reason for me to be there? And some of these questions may not always be voiced but they can make this change to be very challenging. Let's move on to the second part of the message. How do we respond to this challenge? What can we as a church do to help these people? In preparing for and during my involvement at the seminars I was involved in at Penn Valley, I prepared a survey 
for returned missionaries to share their experiences. And some of this was a number of years back. A number of you from here in our group uh, completed that survey as well as a number of other people. I have results from over 30 different people, both singles and families, who served both in the States and in other countries. And their input was interesting. One of the questions I asked is, rate your return experience on a scale of one to five, with one being very positive and five being extremely difficult. The number that came back more often than any other was five. It was extremely difficult. And then 70% of the people gave a three or higher. And uh, I found these, these surveys very interesting. And some of the response I'll give here uh, kind of feeds back from some of those uh, responses that I received. And along with this, I, I will just mention I, I really appreciate the, uh, the missions committee we have here at our church and uh, the effort you have been putting forth into connecting and relating with people who are serving in the field and an effort to make this uh, their time there easier. And I, I appreciate that. And some of these things I, I feel like you've already been doing a good job at. So how can we help? What can we do as a congregation? Number one, and perhaps this is the number one thing we can do, is maintain contact with them while they are gone. This is so vital. How will you connect when they return if you had no contact while they were gone? If they feel you did not care about them while they were gone, why would they think you care about them now? And I'll share some experiences here as we go through this. I know that, um, that my case was a little bit different when we were serving in Romania because I had not been a member of this congregation before we went. I did not know you very well until Martha and I got married and we became a part of the congregation here, or I did, and, uh, and then we returned to serve. But while we served, there were several families, several couples from this congregation that even though I did not know you well, made special effort to make connection and keep connection. And I could still name who those families were because when I came back, I had something to start on. And that was very meaningful to me. It did a lot. It was something I really appreciated. And there were families here, and again, I could name a number of families. I came back barely knowing anyone sometimes for a visit, for a furlough. But there were those of you who invited us for a meal in your home. And I can still picture some of those settings and some of the conversations we had around your table, even though it was 20 or 25 years ago. And as we lived in Romania, there was something special about Monday mornings. A lot of people complain about Mondays, but there was something special about Monday mornings. And the reason Monday mornings were special is because there were some people in the church who took time on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening to write an email. And because of the time change between here and there, it was already Monday morning in Romania when you were doing that here on Sunday. 
And on Monday mornings when we got up, we had more messages than we did any other day of the week. So I always looked forward to Monday mornings. They were encouraging. So I would encourage you, maintain contact while they are going. It's easier today than ever before to keep contact. And yet, sometimes I feel it's probably more neglected than it was ever before. I remember one time I received a, a card from a young sister and that we had contact with. And as I recall, there was only one statement in that card. And it said, I just wanted you to know that I prayed for you today. That was meaningful. It meant a lot. These contacts can have very encouraging results. Uh, just as a little side note, I know of another couple. Uh, well, I should say I know of a young man who served time in VS. And while he was there, his youth group, every person in the youth group had an assignment. On this week, you write a letter to Walter, his name was. Next week, another person writes a letter. And his testimony, I remember him telling me, he said, uh, so one week I got a letter from someone in the youth group, and I wrote a letter back to her. And she wrote a letter back to me, and I wrote a letter back to her. And you can guess what happened. They got married, they served in the mission field together, and are still in God's service together. But another person told me, said our home church had a schedule of who was supposed to contact me by writing or a phone call each week. And she said, I think less than 30% of those people actually carried through with it. So you can imagine what kind of a feeling that gives as well, the lack of support that person uh, felt. On the survey that I mentioned, there was a question, designate the level of contact your church maintained while you were gone. Little, adequate, or great? And those responses varied, but I couldn't help but to notice in many responses, when someone said they had little contact while they were gone, those same people often said the adjustment in returning was extremely difficult. In other cases, people who said, we had lots of contact and the adjustment was relatively easy. I think there's a connection there. So maintain contact while they were going. I just really want to emphasize that, and I, again, I thank the missions committee for the effort that you're putting forth to make that happen. Number two, don't be intimidated when they return. Yeah, sometimes when someone returns from the mission field, we kind of have this mental idea that they're on a different level. They're up here. They're on a higher spiritual plane, and they're just in some different level than what we are. And I would like to kindly inform you that that's nonsense. They're human just like we are. We all have common needs. We all do the same thing. Regardless of where we live, we need to wash the dishes and carry out the trash. They are common people with common feelings. 
So don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid to connect. One of our first Sundays back to Weavertown, when we moved home, back to the community here, after Sunday school, Martha came into the congregation here and sat down pretty soon. Someone else came and sat down beside her. She kind of glanced over at the person. And throughout the morning, she was thinking, well, you know, I have no idea who this person is. Uh, perhaps they're a visitor. Maybe this is her first time to Weavertown. Maybe I should be inviting them to Weavertown or welcoming them. Maybe after the church, I should welcome them here. But maybe they've been attending here for three or four years already. Maybe they're a member. If I welcome them to Weavertown, they think I'm strange. Maybe they should be welcoming me back. And she didn't know what to say to them, so she didn't say anything to them. Well, guess what? This person didn't say anything to her either. Perhaps they were intimidated. I don't know. Um, I don't even know who the person was. Perhaps they were both intimidated by each other. But my point is, let's not be intimidated. We are all in this work together. And just like Calvin was saying, we're not here to fight our battles alone. How else can we help? Number three, ask specific questions. And this is something that was emphasized pretty, uh, pretty much by some other people I've had some contact with. It's hard to ask specific questions if you don't know someone very well. So this is another reason to maintain contact. It's easier to ask questions. And again, sharing from my personal experience, as I indicated, when we were living in Romania, um, many of you did not know me very well, but you tried. And sometimes we would come back for a visit, and you wanted to make conversation. And I remember people coming up to me and asking a question, how's Romania? How do you answer that question? So someone comes up to you, how's Pennsylvania? What do you want to know? How's the political situation? Who's the governor? Is it a Democrat? Is it a Republican? Or how's the economy? Is it prospering? Is it a good tourist season? Are you making money off the tourists? Uh, are the crops growing well? I mean, there's all kinds of directions you can go. So I never knew quite how to answer that question. And the challenging thing was, well, the conversation didn't go very far, and that person would wander off, and someone else would come walking up. Oh, well, how's Romania? <laughs> so we'd start all over again. So my point is, try to ask specific questions. Some suggestions when someone returns. What are some things you miss about Kenya or El Salvador or wherever the person was? Tell me about some things you miss. What are some things you learned while you served there? Tell me about some of the people you got to know, some of the friendships, the relationships you developed. Tell me about your lifestyle. How is it different than it is here? What are some things you learned to like about the culture and the geography? Or if you're comfortable, you may even ask, so what are some goals that you have now that you returned? What, what are you looking forward to from here on out? And these can open some conversations that can build relationships. I'll give you one question that I suggest you do not ask. 
Are you adjusted yet? For return missionaries, that's known as the A word, the difficult word. And part of the problem with asking that question is it puts all the responsibility on the person. It's your job to, to adjust. You need to adjust. You need to fit in. Did, did you accomplish it yet? Are you adjusted it yet? I've heard one, pers- or one person respond to that. I don't want to adjust. I, I don't want to lose what I gained. So maybe a more appropriate question to ask would be, how are we doing at accommodating you? Are we meeting your needs? And that brings us up to number four. Be sensitive to their needs. And to do that, you may need to ask some specific questions, and you may need to read between the lines sometimes. Is this person suffering from emotional strain? Do they need a break? Are they worn out? Or do they need something to do? If they need a break, how long? And this requires communication to develop the sensitivity. You know, I indicated when, when we moved back from Romania, with a lot of you, I did not have a lot of common ground, and it, it was a little bit of a struggle to establish some of that. And about a year after we returned, I was given the responsibility of Sunday school superintendent. And for me, that was kind of a, a turning point because it gave me a connection, a way to relate to you in common ground, connecting with people, teachers, and it gave me something to talk about besides how's Romania. We could connect about the classes and the needs and so forth. So be sensitive to their needs. Sometimes there may be financial needs. And I think Weavertown does very well in, in addressing this in a number of ways, Sunday school offerings and youth fundraisers and reestablishment fund and so forth. And I know for us, um, we had been home for a number of months and were kind of faced with the reality and the missions committee came and gave us a check and it was just a breath of fresh air. It just came at a, a very crucial time for us. But look beyond the financial needs to the emotional needs. One brother told me, he said, our church gave us money, they give us meals, they cleaned our house, but we were hurting inside and no one seemed to care about that. He said the emotional needs were somehow not touched on, so be sensitive to their needs. Number five, give them opportunity to share their stories and what motivated them. Now, we all know that somebody that comes back from boys' camp likes to talk about boys' camp. And maybe sometimes you, hear, you think, well, yeah, we've been hearing about boys' camp. But these are stories that are important to this person. Listen to their stories. If they come back from somewhere else, listen to their stories. Take interest in what they have to say. Ask them questions. Engage with them. And if, if they can give you a small window into their world, it will help you to understand them and help them to feel that you understand. So give them opportunity to share their stories and what motivated them. And number six, remember that home may not feel like home. Where is home? 
for someone who has lived in a number of places. And don't assume that they are just delighted to be back. Maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. You might feel like, well, this has to be the greatest thing that happened to you since the day you left. You got to come back. Where they may be grieving the separations. One person wrote this after they returned. I think they had been serving in Liberia. She said, my heart is still in Africa. I feel like something inside of me is shriveling and dying, and I just want to live again and love again and feel really needed. I want to make a difference. I want to do whatever God wants me to do. I just don't know what that is right now. I'm tired of greeting people in church who are going home to big Sunday meals of mashed potatoes and chicken and peanut butter pie. I'm tired of people asking me, how are you, and saying, just fine, when my heart is breaking. You see, home may not always feel like home. There were two questions in this survey that I thought were very similar. But it was interesting to find that the responses were very opposite. One question was, do you feel accepted by the church or by the youth group? And the majority of people responded very positive. Yes, I feel accepted. But then the next question was, do you feel a part of the church and the youth group? And just as many people responded, no. That's difficult. Yes, I feel accepted, but it's just hard and difficult to feel a part of it. So hopefully these pointers can be an encouragement to you to, to reach out and to minister to these people. Perhaps for some of you, your Bibles are still open at Philippians chapter 2. I just want to highlight a couple of these verses here. These verses have to do with all of our relationships. I was zeroing in this morning on relationships with one particular group of people, but this applies to all of our relationships. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and where we have that fellowship of the Spirit... Verse 2, let there be one love, one accord, and one mind. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things. Don't fight your own battles. Don't keep your battles to yourself. But let's look on the needs of one another. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the passage goes on to focus on how Jesus ministered. If we just jump up to the previous chapter, in verse 27, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for one faith, the faith of the gospel. And I believe that is our goal. I'd like to also um, 
highlight a couple verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And verses 23 and 24, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. As we wrap this up, I would like to point out that in our civic calendar, on our national calendar, there's a holiday this coming week. Probably some of you haven't even thought about it. It's called Veterans Day. And the purpose of Veterans Day is to recognize people who are currently serving or have previously served in foreign wars. It's a day our country honors those people. I'd like to take a couple minutes this morning to honor our veterans here at church. People who have served on the front. Now, I feel a little bit self-conscious doing this because all of you serve in so many different ways. But I would like to recognize those here, everybody who served at least one year in a VS unit anywhere or in a foreign mission field, just stand up. Whether you're a part of this congregation or a part of another congregation, it doesn't matter. Just stand up. These are our veterans. Now look around at this group of people a little bit. I'm not sure what all countries we have designated here. Belize, Haiti, probably, El Salvador, Kenya, perhaps Poland, Canada, Romania. In 20 years, a lot of people that are standing will no longer be here. Who's going to rise up to take their place? Who will be our veterans 20 years from now? We need to have veterans. And to those of you who are standing, I welcome your input, and you may be seated. After the service, you know we typically have a testimony time, and I feel that you have many valuable things to share. Maybe difficulties you faced, maybe ways that people encouraged you. Uh, I want to encourage you to share some of those uh, after the service here today. And maybe I'll just suggest whoever's uh, running the mic, um, encourage you to try as much as possible to stick to the middle aisle. If you're on one side, it makes it really difficult for people on the other side to stand up and share something. So if you can uh, uh, focus uh, your attention here more in the front, on the middle aisle, uh, that will be accessible to both sides. So I feel like this is a subject that I just started, and I'm looking forward, if you have something more to share with that afterwards. For those of you who are able, I invite you to kneel together as we pray. Father, I thank you this morning again for your faithfulness to us, for your goodness, 
Thank you for the church. Thank you for community. Thank you for the reminder that we received this morning that we are not asked or expected to fight our battles alone, but we're here to bear one another's burdens and to encourage one another and to lift each other up. Lord, I thank you for all the people in this congregation who have served you in so many different ways and so many different places and even now are serving you in so many different ways. And I just pray that you would bless their work and ministry and that you would continue to unite us, unite us as a congregation to working together for the furtherance of your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.